Bruce Edwards, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. Africa's strong growth in recent years has attracted investors. Many African economies have improved their institutions and policies, and as a result have seen more foreign direct investment from countries like China. At that level of the small and medium private firms, I think Chinese investors find that they can operate in these different African environments, uh, and Chinese entrepreneurs see this as a business opportunity. David Dollar is a senior fellow in the China Center at the Brookings Institution and co-author of an article entitled Investment Renaissance, published in the December 2015 issue of Finance and Development magazine. Dollar and his co-authors say that while China is important to the increasing foreign investment in Africa, its role is far from dominant. China's having a big effect on the African economies, but primarily through its trade. China's become the biggest trade partner for most African countries, and at least until recently, China's demand has driven up prices and export volumes from African economies. There's a certain amount of Chinese direct investment, and I think because of that big effect on trade, many people assume that China is now the dominant investor in Africa. That's not the case. In recent years, China's accounting for about 3 or 4% of the direct investment in Africa, which is fairly modest. In fact, South Africa, which is a much smaller economy, has more foreign investment in Africa than China does. So it doesn't have the same impact as its trade. On the other hand, it's very big in a few countries. And it's growing very rapidly. So I think people are right to sense that this is going to be an important phenomenon. But there's been some exaggeration in in the press about where we stand. Mm. Uh, So the the small scale of the investment is actually surprising. But uh, the article talks about thousands of of small Chinese firms uh, investing you know, across the continent in countries where Western firms do not. Uh, why is that? Right. The, there are some big state-to-state investment deals that have gotten a lot of attention. Uh, we've used a different database to look at what's happening with the more small and medium uh, investment coming from the Chinese private sector. And one of the things we find is that it cuts across all the countries. You know, So it includes some countries that really have quite difficult governance situation. Chinese seem to be more of a risk taker than the Western investors. Uh, but it's across all the continent, and it's across all sectors. It's, it's not concentrated in natural resources. In fact, the services are the dominant sector. So, but why is it that they're more risk takers? Is the criteria different uh, for, for Western countries when they're, when they're establishing a, the, what they might determine as a good business environment? Is the criteria different? My sense is there are two things going on. First, I think there is a learning process. You know, some of the big Chinese investments in countries with poor governance are not turning out very well. So I think there's partly a learning experience. You know, Chinese investors are discovering it's hard to do business in DR Congo and some of the other countries in Africa. But then at that level of the small and medium private firms, I think Chinese investors find that they can operate in these different African environments. Uh, And so they're making a reasonable judgment that they can deal with the risks. Uh, Back in China, it's an extremely competitive environment in many sectors. The economy's slowing down now, so there are fewer investment opportunities. 
So I think some Chinese entrepreneurs are just making the assessment that they take their chances in Africa, uh, even in some of the difficult environments where Western investors are not present. You know, even in fragile states, there's still a certain amount of economic business, uh, and Chinese entrepreneurs see this as a business opportunity. Mm. And so the article, uh, in the article, you, you talk about um, the demographics of Africa, uh, making it an attractive long-term investment for China. Um, is there really a concerted effort on behalf of the Chinese authorities to cash in on that, you know, in the next 10 or 15 years? And by that, I mean, is the government encouraging firms to invest in more labor-intensive industries like manufacturing, for example? I think the main incentives from the Chinese government are, one, to find natural resources, and two, just to go out. You know, China has a large excess of savings now, and so they're encouraging all their firms to go out in different directions. You know, and to be frank, Africa is an important part of that, but of course, you know, there's much more Chinese investment going into Asian countries, for example. Mm. And are the demographics... uh in fact, interesting for, you know, future Chinese investment? Yes, but I think probably most entrepreneurs don't, don't study the demographic patterns. I think it's something they experience. You know, one of the reasons why China's slowing down now is their working age population has peaked and started to shrink. It's very hard to keep growing rapidly in that environment. You know, so the market's increasing in China, but the demographics are against them. The, my sense is many of these Chinese entrepreneurs that may have first come to Africa, for example, as a skilled worker on a construction project, and when their contract is up, they looked around and they thought, well, there are not enough restaurants. You know, there seem to be a lot of people who want to go out to dinner, or there are not enough hotels. There's more and more demand. So I think they're experiencing the effect of these demographics, that there's more and more demand in Africa, so African economies are growing pretty rapidly. And some Chinese entrepreneurs see opportunities, and that's what, we're, what we find in, in this investment. So you also talk about uh, you know, the Chinese slowdown being largely based on uh, a country now that has um, a huge uh, excess in infrastructure, unused infrastructure. How did China manage to get there while Africa and essentially the rest of the world are dealing with this huge infrastructure gap? Right. So I think the Chinese have been very good at creating infrastructure for a long time. You know, I worked in the World Bank for 20 years and finished my career as the World Bank country director in China. Uh, we were involved in quite a few infrastructure projects. You know, the Chinese are very effective. A lot of it's just the basics, you know, competitive bidding, good supervision to make sure that high quality materials are used. You don't see a lot of bridges or other things collapsing in China. You know, there'll occasionally be some kind of a scandal, but in a very big country, I think there are very, very few examples. So they've been good for a long time. Having developed that capability, I think they took it a little bit too far in their own country, particularly when the global financial crisis hit. It was a natural thing for them to ramp up infrastructure to maintain demand. Uh, and for a long time, their economy had been growing at faster than 10%. And you can build a lot of infrastructure and have that be well utilized. But there are reasons why at middle income, the growth rate starts to slow down. You know, if you keep building infrastructure at that old rate and the growth slows down, all of a sudden you discover you've got airports that are barely used and the most recent stretches of highway are not particularly well traveled. So I think now they've, they've overdone it. 
and they're definitely pulling back on their investment overall uh, in this environment. Mm. You suggest in the piece that uh, the good news would be that China's uh, domestic slowdown has investors looking abroad, and there's been billions of dollars in uh, net capital outflows um, this year alone. How long can China sustain such huge outflows of capital? To some extent, this outflow of capital from China is a positive thing, both for China and for the rest of the world. But the scale is very important. It does look like there'll be about $660 billion of net capital outflow this year, perhaps even more. I think it's hard, be hard for them to sustain that, be hard for the rest of the world to absorb that. You know, that would mean China was becoming a, you know, a really, really big creditor very quickly. Uh, and someone's got to be a debtor on the other side of that. So I think the, the scale is important. Uh, but China could sustainably provide you know, a more modest number, something like four or $500 billion per year, and something that would naturally increase with the global economy. Mm. So do you think that Chinese uh, foreign direct investment in Africa will continue to grow? And, and so can you see Africa benefiting from that in the coming years? I think the initial impetus for a lot of the for the big Chinese investment was natural resources in Africa. There's not going to be as much appetite in China for natural resources in the future because of this transition they're going through. So I think the fact that a lot of other types of investment from China have taken root in Africa is quite positive. This investment in services and manufacturing, but I think Africa now is going to have to work to compete for that together with Asian economies and Latin American economies. Uh, and Africa has that demographic bulge coming along that makes it attractive, but many countries have problems in their investment climate or problems with governance. So I see this as a great opportunity for Africa, primarily be on Africans to bring about better investment climates, make this attractive for Chinese, for other investors, primarily for African investors. Everybody's investment comes primarily from their own domestic sources, but foreign investment can be a very, very useful stimulus. That was David Dollar, senior fellow in the China Center at the Brookings Institution and co-author of the article entitled Investment Renaissance, published in the December 2015 issue of Finance and Development magazine. The magazine is available online at imf.org slash fnd, or you can download the Finance and Development app to read it on your mobile device. You can also hear more podcasts like this one at soundcloud.com slash imf dash podcasts. Thank you.